Welcome to Civic Sparks. We're here live with two great guests. But before we get to those, let me go ahead and give a shout out here to 423 Media for providing all the background, the editing, the video, and everything else is provided on the show. 423media.com. And now let's jump over to our guests here. We've got Dr. Mina Sartippi from the Center of Urban Informatics and Progress and Kevin Comstock, who's the Smart Cities Director for the City of Chattanooga. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Hello. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. So let's just start off with a quick question I ask all our civic-minded guests, and let's get to know you a little bit better. And why or what brought you to UCC, Mina, and what drove you to being so passionate about Smart Cities Tech and founding the Center for Urban Informatics and Progress? Sure. Um, I'm a faculty of computer science department at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, UTC, and I also direct the Center for Urban Informatics and Progress. My background is uh, wireless sensor network, so from early on in my PhD, I started working on sensors, processing data, and wireless communication. When I joined UTC about 15 years ago, that was basically the type of work I was continuing doing here. I had my research lab, and I was working in a lot of projects from a theoretical background. And when uh, I started working on some of the project, I realized that it's very much can be applied to the project that was city was going after, like with the EPBs, fiber optic, there is a lot of uh, opportunities for real-time data transmission and being able to process those data in, in real time and send it back. So that's where we started to thinking more about uh, smart cities and how can these projects that were done in our lab be actually done in the city or in a real environment. And that is when we started moving from more theoretical work to more applied research. And um, and that was during the time that I started working closer with Kevin and his team and other entities in the city, uh, Enterprise Center, EPB, um, and uh, Colab and others, and decided that, okay, this research was not only one lab can work on because we needed disciplines, multi-disciplines from all over the campus. In fact, actually all colleges of campus at some point have been involved with the research we are working on, and that's when the Center for Urban Informatics and Progress was established at UTC with the support from the UT system. Fantastic. And Kevin, what about you? What uh, what drove you to want to make a difference in this field? The primary reason I've been in this, uh, doing this work for oh, almost 40 years now, and uh, in transportation and in telecommunications, building and developing uh, networks to kind of help support traffic signal systems and ITS, intelligent transportation systems. Um, this seemed like the next evolution or the next um, evolution of these systems. Um, we've been uh, faced um, with uh, challenges from the Department of Transportation back in 2015. Uh, we were one of the 78 uh uh, agencies that uh, submitted for the Smart Cities um, Challenge Project, uh, the one that ultimately Columbus, Ohio won. Uh, but that kind of started the genesis here at the city in a sense that uh, we'll come together in this collaborative effort and uh, see what kind of good work we can do. And you've been, uh, you, you guys have been doing this for, for quite a while now. Um, I guess the autonomous vehicles uh, portion of this that we want to talk about uh, since about what 2016 2017 somewhere in that range where, where where are you now with these efforts well we started i think uh, some of these projects with connected autonomous vehicles and uh, it was started when um, we were awarded nsf 
grant on from the USA Ignite program there that it was basically how can we take advantage of the gigabit and for us that was connectivity between the vehicles. Uh, that is when we started working on the um, connected and, and um, auto um, autonomous vehicles. But I have to mention that a lot of uh, our focus has always been on the connectivity of the vehicles. And that's where we our work was based on uh, how can we allow the vehicles to talk to each other and such. And one of the examples in that case that we did a showcase of that, we did a real-time demo well, uh, me and a couple of other people from my team were in Austin, Texas, and there we were showing a test that was running here in Chattanooga on um, on campus. A test we call a see-through. What if if you can the vehicle can see through the car in front of it, and uh, that was like basically how can that improve the safety of uh, the driver and also the pedestrian and such. Yeah, I want to I want to quickly mention a quote from Tim Berners Lee, who for those of you who don't know, is the inventor of the World Wide Web back in 1993, and he specifically quotes about technology in relation to science fiction. He says, write science fiction. The new realities you conceive will either be coded and built or legislated against. So in that mindset, the question on everybody's mind, should we push driverless cars forward and, and autonomous vehicles or hold them back? Um, well, um, there's a lot of research out there on the, on the subject matter right now. And the, the indication is that if the autonomous vehicle working with a integrated uh, infrastructure, we think that we can reduce accidents uh, upwards of 80%. Those crashes uh, are, have always been problematic. The, the nation uh, sees probably 40,000 uh, fatalities annually because due to crashes, motor vehicle crashes. Um, and, and this is a way of, uh, of helping to mitigate those those types of incidents. Uh, if the vehicle is is intelligent enough and is able to communicate with the infrastructure in a proper f fashion, we can give the vehicle situational awareness about what's going on in, in the uh, environment through the infrastructure, as well as having other vehicles be able to communicate um, with that vehicle. Um, that's the intent basically behind uh, the autonomous environment. Uh, what you've been seeing up to this point has been mostly um, all based on singularly on the vehicle itself. And it doesn't have that situational awareness of what the landscape provides. Uh, it can't account for hills and, and valleys and, and, and all those sorts of things. So um, as a pedestrian walks up and or crosses the street, it may not be able to see that in enough time to react to it in a, in a uh, positive fashion. So uh, this is where the connectivity becomes in. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm, I'm, I want to talk about the sensors for a minute. And what, what are we talking about as far as the sensors and technology? You, you just mentioned that a lot of the stuff now is just in the vehicles. But where do we go from there? Do we go from having street lights that have sensors in them? Do we go from um, uh, various other parts of, of our, our infrastructure that have sensors in them that can detect you know, pedestrian traffic, can detect uh, truck traffic versus vehicle traffic? Where does that look like? I think what it can be done is basically sensors can provide us observability of our environment. You know, whatever you mentioned, different sensors, you mentioned the lighting like and different capabilities and even with the same sensors, what are the things that we can understand? So the sensors can help us see what's going on around us. First, observe it and and understand what is going on. And then the, the next step would be, why is it happening or why is it not happening? And then we make a decision there how to react based on what we have been, obs we have been observing. So I think it's very important to 
pay attention to that, that like there are basically a lot of different type of sensors and depending on the need, what are the things that we can use? We all know the new cars coming out, they, they are equipped with a lot of different sensors. They can stay in line, they can do adaptive cruise control, and some have capabilities of um, some kind of like um, autopilot capabilities. But uh, as Kevin mentioned, they're all like similar. They are all in their bubbles. Like the goal would be for this is like, how can we allow them to talk with each other to observe better what's going on and based on that, yeah, that um, would, make the decision. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I, I have, my, my vehicle has uh, the, the adaptive cruise control with the camera in the front of it. Yes. And, and you know, <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it's kind of hit or miss, and uh, the, the vehicle that I have, not mentioning any brands, but the vehicle I have uh, has a, a quirk in it that if I go past a semi with it, uh, you know, the, the cruise control on, it slams on the brakes immediately and thinks for some reason that the truck's trying to pull over in my lane, um, and that's been an issue. Um, of course, this is a 2015, and hopefully they've kind of worked some of those bugs out, but w do you see that this, you know, expanding and becoming so you're talking about vehicles communicating with each other and I, I see that that's that's a beneficial thing so my, my truck can't communicate with the person from Ohio or Missouri or whoever's on the interstate in front of me as I'm traveling back and forth to, to North Carolina but maybe in the future yes our vehicles could communicate with each other and, and give each other spatial awareness is what you're saying so basically that's it um, we've we've always said me and I talk about this quite frequently that um, you, you, we have to go through the the connected phase of things before we ever get to autonomy um, all of these uh, systems have to be tested and vetted out and, 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 and polished and validated and verified to make sure that they are safe and, and, and effective in their operation um, this isn't like um, or this isn't unlike uh, things like air traffic control and, and or uh, medications that get uh, uh, promised. You have to test all of these theories out to be able to validate uh, the usability of those things. Right. So are there any implications or implement implications? I, I can say this right. I can speak. I promise again. Uh, implications regarding, say, fleet management and, uh, say, trash pickup or things along those lines. Well, that's one of the, the interesting things. And as Mina indicated before, you know, and as you started to indicate through streetlights and other technologies that are out there, um, um, if you think about smart cities as, as, as one um, broad basket of, of, of applications, uh, autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles is just one, uh, one component within that basket. Um, Smart cities is more about uh, installing sensors, understanding the environment, and being able to process uh, good information, uh, good data at, at the edge, and be able to bring that back to make some sort of reasonable decisions. Um, there are technologies out there that can, uh, if we know the trash the trash cans are full, it can send out a, an alert to our fleet people to come, you know, pick up the trash at that at that receptacle. Um, things like pothole monitoring, there's all kinds of different technologies that we can start to think about from here if we build the infrastructure properly and, and, and allow for these things to occur. Right. I know, um, I know a lot of these questions are rhetorical since we, we all work together, but um, I know you and I have spoken many times about uh, the idea of having cameras on our trash trucks and using those trash trucks specifically because they're one of the only vehicles in our fleet that actually touches 95% of all the roads in the city, right? So 
to be able to on edge process that data in real time and push that data back to a dashboard somewhere that shows potholes and maybe submits automated 311 service requests to fill those potholes or to service the roads or to find a sign down or blighted property or any along those lines, or even in the sense that somebody forgot to put their trash can out and then calls, you know, 311 and says, hey, you didn't pick up my trash. Oh, guess what? You didn't put it out. Sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next week um, or something along those lines. So that's uh, that's interesting. How, how how far away from that do you think we are from and from from a I know you've got a test bed and a test corridor, but how far away do you think we are from actually seeing this in reality? Like considering, you know, Uber talking about automated vehicles and there's been all this stuff going on in California. Where, where are we in that? In the in sense of uh, um, automation? Yes. Fully automation. automated automation. Um, I know you're right. I mean, we hear Uber working on it. You hear uh, Tesla working on it and such. But honestly, I don't think we are going to be there anytime soon. It's just there's so much, so much need that happened before we get there. You know, it might be, it might start from uh, on the highway. It might be starting from um, more major streets. But when you go to the smaller roads, when you go to the roads that they don't have all the um, signs correctly or all the um, lanes on the, um, on the pavement, all they're not all there and such, it's going to be hard for this to, to make sure that we have more, like be the automated, fully automated vehicles be running um, everywhere in the city. And I think that is where we are more and less like keep focusing on the connectivity part that for if the GPS fails all of a sudden, right, on the vehicle, how are you going to be managing to know where you are and what decisions to make? or when the visibility that the sensors, you, you just mentioned, Brandon, sensors that you think that your car is just like sometimes it doesn't break or it would just malfunction. So what are the things that we can do re related to those basically? Yeah, so let's look into our imaginary crystal ball here, our scientific crystal ball. Just let's, let's look ahead for um, five years, 10 years. Where do you say, just put a dart in the board. Where do you think, where do you think we'll start to get to a point to where that will be more prominent? You know, my, my personal belief is and, and um, uh, that I think we're probably probably on the line of 10 years out from full autonomy um, at minimum. Um, realistically, it's probably going to be between 10 and 20, 10 to 15, 10 to 20. Um, I just think that the technology is moving fast enough that we're going to be able to uh, develop certain scenarios where we have some level of autonomy in, in the system. But I think for uh, to, to get to the fully autonomous uh, um, point, we're, we're going to have to have the integration of the infrastructure and we're going to have to have a significant uh, number of, of uh, participants in that effort. Um, market saturation is going to have something to do with how fast we can deploy these things. Um, not everybody is going to be in a position to buy a brand new car that has all these features on it um, in, in 15 years. You know, their budgets may not allow for that. Uh, and we're still going to have uh, the individual that wants to drive their 65 Mustang out there on our streets. We've got to figure out ways to like accommodate me. those things. Yeah. <laughs> Like when so, all the electric vehicles uh, are out there, it's going to be me driving around in my 72 Dodge Dart. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but that, that that's a real consideration because how do we account for that vehicle within the system, uh, an autonomous system that is accounting for every other vehicle out there? 
and this, the, the, the infrastructure that recognizes the vast bulk of this, but may not be able to get any data or information from your specific vehicle to validate its position or, you know, geo, geodetic position or its speed or velocity, um, you know, where it's headed. So um, these are the problems that we have to think through and, and, and program for in what we're doing. So we need to come up with sensors that can, uh, your vehicle can auto- automatically detect what my vehicle is doing from a speed standpoint in the similar way that a, a highway patrol officer sitting by a bridge can determine how fast the car is coming down the road is what you're saying. Basically. It, it, that, that's a possibility. I think the other possibility is aftermarket type technologies that could be deployed on a vehicle that if you want to be able to have it, get it licensed and be able to operate it on the street that you would have to require this, this upgrade to, to be able to do it. Okay, so that's an interesting thought. Uh, in the same way that if I want to drive my old vehicle, I have to go down and get it uh, emissions control and, and all that kind of stuff. But if I continually going down this road and we, we pass legislation such as that, then if I want to drive my 72 Dodge Dart, that's my gas-guzzling V8 and has absolutely no electronics in it whatsoever, um, I have to put electronics in it and, and sensors that could cost me some kind of um, – will have some kind of impact on my wallet, so to speak. So that's Yeah, an interesting well, it gets back to your – Gets back to your Tim Lee comment earlier. <laughs> Very true. What about pedestrian safety? Where does that fall in as far as uh, autonomous vehicles and, and this infrastructure that we're talking about? Where, do, where does that come into play? I mean, that's that's actually one of the things is, uh, I mean, drivers are being uh, more distracted. Pedestrians are being more distracted, right? How many of us are just walking around looking at our phone? And all of that is... Uh, basically that infrastructure, that connectivity can help with the pedestrian safety there. So if I am not paying attention and I'm crossing, and a lot of times uh, is a, you know, a car is turning left or a car is just trying to just make that uh, yellow light or such, I can be notified that there is something around me that I have to be more alert about it. Or uh, the same thing with the car, that um, if a person decide all of a sudden to cross the street, even if the area that there's no crosswalk, how are we going to be making sure that the, that the car is also knowing the intention of the person, that this person is about to cross the street to just be watch out for it? Or same thing with the cyclist down the road, there's a cyclist on the road, be aware of that. So there are a lot of these things that can help with the vulnerable road user, the safety of them by um, knowing what's going on, alerting the, the, the pedestrian, the cyclist, the driver and such to improve the safety. I think if you can figure out Dr. Sartipi, how to create a sensor that can determine what another person is about to do. I think there's more implications there than just pedestrian safety. <laughs> True, but you know, it's it's more than just like reading somebody's mind, right? So I'm not talking about a sensor right. that can read my mind, somebody's mind. It's more of their, you know, their the body posture that you see them, like they're walking straight and they are now they're turning and there's a street there. They took their first steps. So there are things that you can potentially predict what their intention is. You're right. I'm not talking about reading people's minds. Right. Yeah. If if you can do that, then more power to you. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Um, Because I know some vehicles now, again, not to name any brands or anything, but I know some vehicles now will, uh, like if you, for example, you pull up to an intersection and say there's a, a specific turning right portion and you're looking left and you go to accelerate, but you don't look forward, the vehicle will actually, you know, see a vehicle in front of you or a pedestrian or something along those lines, as long as within a a specific size, I think, um, and then automatically stop the car to keep you from running into that person. And I know that, again, I 
I know I know somebody that owns one of those vehicles, and it, it is again, quote, and in this case, it really is hit or miss. Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about makes a lot of sense, and I think starting from this point where we're going, we've got a long way to go. So let's talk a little bit about the smart quarter. Uh, first of all, just for those of our, 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 our you know viewers who don't know what we're talking about when I talk about the MLK smart corridor, that's a specific area in Chattanooga. Let me go ahead and uh, uh, segue into that by uh, showing this video real quick. We are really at early stages, but one of the things we are looking into is how can we synchronize traffic lights based on where are the pedestrians, how are they be crossing it, to time it better based on that as well. So these are also the, the research that we are working closely with CDOT. This is something that we have been working on for a few months and now we actually get to share it with everyone so that others can see it. And this is really what we have been uh, looking forward to that we wanted to announce this so that everybody knows, the researchers and other at UTC and other universities that we are basically here, that this is a testbed is here and we are looking for collaboration. This is a real world data, real world problem. It's amazing to do a lot of work in the lab in front of your computers, but this is, you see actually how would it impact. Like it's a meaningful project you're working on and a lot of projects that I mean, this one started with CDOT asked, at, telling us about this, but many of them are the problems that actually community will tell us this is what we are seeing as a challenge. So students really not only are getting trained, but also they can see that how their work is impacting their community. Um, so you want to dig in a little bit more about that smart corridor and let's talk a little bit about that. And, and when you talk about the timing of traffic lights and, and, the, and the smart corridor, what does that mean? specifically well I, I'll go into the timing of the traffic lights and I mean it can explain the corridor um, the traffic lights uh, along the corridor and this particular one has uh, 10 signalized intersections um, we try to uh, synchronize their operations so that as vehicles approach particularly on the main line uh, have the probability of being able to progress through the string of intersections without being stopped um, um, that's the general philosophy about pedestrian or about signal timing issues in the synchronization of those intersections. Um, I don't know if you've ever been anywhere. Um, San Francisco had uh, 19th Street that had a sign posted that said if you travel at 25 miles an hour that you'll um, you'll go uh, you'll get out through all the signals and literally if you did it would. Uh, so uh, those types of systems um, are you know, it's still something we can do today, um, but um, they're a little bit um, harder to, to actually facilitate in the real world. So uh, uh, people's speed varies and, and other dynamics that are involved in that uh, that create other problems. And then so we'll, we'll trans, transition over to Mina and she can talk about the corridor some more. Sure. Uh, so the corridor is a mile and a quarter of the road in downtown Chattanooga. It's one of the streets that's next to the campus. And we have a bike lane there. We have car charging station. One of our busiest transit passes through there. So this is an area that we see a lot of, um, compared to overall the city, we see uh, walking and cycling happening. And that's what we chose this area. And it has 10 signalized intersections that has been equipped with different sensors. We have cameras, LIDARs, radars on some of them, uh, audio sensor, air quality. We have edge computing. All of them are connected to the fiber, um, EPV's fiber network. Through that, the data comes to UTC. We process them in real time. And if it needed, 
send back the data. And we have different wireless communication capabilities. We call this as a sandbox that we built it in a way that we can run different algorithms there. Currently, we use it quite a bit for connected vehicle projects. And, uh, but we also use it, for example, for, um, it used to be DSRC, the uh, standard for communication between the vehicles, but now it's not. So like, what is the 5G? What would be LTE? What are their limitations? Or if we process it at the edge, we have edge computers at some of the intersections as well, versus sending the data back to the uh, at UTC and, and process them. So we did put extra basically on this. There are redundant um, sensors, equipment on each of these because we wanted to learn what is needed, how can we use this, and the lessons that learn based on from this corridor, we're going to be expanding it to other part of the city. In fact, we have just uh, got the, not just like a couple of months ago, we received the funding from National Science Foundation to, in, to uh, expand the testbed on the highway. Because so far, a lot of our activities has been focused on um, the urban environment, the walking, the pedestrian, the and, um, traffic control, synchronization that Kevin just mentioned. But now we also want to understand more about um, connectivity on the highways, um, lane changing, um, platooning, car following, and all of those things that we want to see that, okay, how is that uh, going to be impacting the highways? Um, so that is what's going on at the um, corridor. And as uh, Kevin just mentioned, we are one of our projects is a DOE funded project is uh, synchronizing traffic controllers on the corridor. Uh, how can we understand like basically what's the queue and how what is predicting the traffic flow be, what's the upstream downstream traffic and based on that make this decision that okay the cycle or the um, offset between the uh, different intersections should be this number to improve the um, traffic flow and reduce the uh, energy consumptions, reduce the emission and overall uh, nobody likes to hit all the traffic lights uh, red and you're just sitting there idle and then you don't see any car going the other direction. And that's just something that we're trying to avoid. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that was going to be one of my questions. So you're, you're talking about the whole kit and caboodle here. You're, you're talking about reducing uh, uh, our carbon footprint in cities. You're talking about um, vehicle autonomy and you're talking about pedestrian safety. Um, but what about at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, I'm driving downtown, I'm heading to work and I'm sitting there at the stoplight and there's nobody else around. And I'm sitting here at the red light looking at my watch, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Are we talking about automating that to the point to where it realizes that there's one car in the intersection? Oh, guess what? We'll just go ahead and change it and, and let that one car through. Well, what you're, what you're being subjected to in that case is more of a legacy uh, operation, how the system used to operate. The stuff that we're doing downtown now um, is uh, trying to alleviate that specific dynamic on a pretty regular basis. Um, we still have some locations where we don't have all of the sensors in, enabled, um, and, th and this is outside of the corridor. This is uh, the smart city corridor, um, but um, we have several locations where we still have the older versions of, of uh, uh, sensors out there to, to tell when vehicles or pedestrians are present. So um, we're, we're still trying to upgrade those legacy systems. And, and motorcycles too, uh, um, I used to be an avid motorcycle rider and bicyclists, and I can tell when you come up to a stoplight with a motorcycle, it doesn't always recognize the motorcycle so much as it does with the car. So that will be a, that will be a great improvement as well. So safety, especially in that case for, for, for bicyclists and motorcyclists who are, are far more vulnerable um, than in some cases even pedestrians. So that's great. Well, even, 
Even on the test bed and, and part of the collaborative's work as we move forward, our key components are, are mobility, health, and energy. And uh, so those are the three tenets that we try to operate under on all of our projects and programming that we do along the corridor. How does that play into, when you're talking about expanding this to highways, what, what kind of time frame are we looking at? So our plan is actually to have it up and running, I mean, at least portion of it in a, in a year. We're looking into because uh, we are basically now currently looking at the devices that we want to buy, the sensors, the things that we have learned based on this test bed and what are the needs there, what are the things we want to add, what are and, and such. So we are we're currently working on that, but our plan is to have it up and running in a year. And the goal for this, and I did mention it in the video, it's uh, bringing other researchers and industry partners here. That's the whole point of this is. Uh, we co currently collaborate with a lot of other universities um, that uh, and, and research labs that we work with. We have industry partners, and that's the goal to understand what is the newest technology and um, what are the newest research going on and just being able to collaborate with, with them to uh, improve the safety. And potentially, and this is not going to only stay in Chattanooga. Uh, yes, Chattanooga has some um, unique aspects uh, that uh, we are taking advantage of, but it is it's just uh, basically learn in the, here and what are the things we can do and other cities can also be using them. Right, and I can, I can speak to that a little bit from the Chattanooga standpoint. I understand that we are on the cutting edge in a lot of things and a lot of fields uh, related to smart city space. And I know a lot of other communities are looking to what we're doing and have communicated with all three of us on this aspect and continue to do so. And I know we do kind of compete with other communities because we do want businesses and people to come here and, and, and settle down in Chattanooga and bring their, their economy with them. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a friendly competition and we do want this technology and we do want this to spread you know, throughout the nation and to help other communities as well. I'm sure you agree with me on that. So, what are we missing? What what's what's next, and what what haven't we we looked at to expand this and 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 uh, put this into play? Well, I've got a couple of, of suggestions um, for for autonomy. I think to work um, universally in the in the states and and worldwide is in, in any sense we have to kind of establish some sort of um, data governance and data management uh, uh, specifics so that we can share data between agencies, between um, different uh, organizations, so that the data pool is uh, robust and complete enough to operate uh, autonomy, autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles uh, to the highest degree of success that we can. That universality is going to be crucial in that, in, in that aspect. Uh, if you're driving here and you go to Atlanta or San Francisco or any place else in the country, you want your systems to operate just as they do here. And the same thing for people coming to Chattanooga to visit. Um, it's the same dynamic. So I think that's one of the key things that we really need to focus on here in the near, near term. Yeah, and, you know, you just brought up something that made me think of something real quick, and that is to play devil's advocate for a minute. You know, we talk about all this, these sensors and this connectivity and the, the smart corridor and how that relates to pedestrian traffic and how that relates to uh, automated vehicles that are sensing each other and communicating with each other. 
Where's the big brother aspect to come into this? When you there's always that one person who's going to say, "Hey, you know, I don't want my car tracking my movements. I don't want my phone tracking my movements. I don't want my streetlights tracking my movements." Where do, where do we sit with that, and how do we how do we balance that with the, the 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 level of technology and the level of of progression that we're making to try to in, ad, advance society? I think that's a that's a perfect question, and um, it it kind of relates to what I was gonna also mention. So, uh, one thing I want to um, emphasize is we do not collect any identifiable information. So we do look at uh, pedestrian safety. For example, we do look at where are pedestrians crossing the streets, how cars are getting close to pedestrians or cyclists and such. But these are all anonymized. We see the up. We see. We actually cat- categorize them as objects. So we see a object. Is it a car? Is it a pedestrian? Is it a cyclist? Is it a truck? Or another level we go down is it a SUV? Is it a sedan and such because of energy consumptions and such? Like is it a bus? And then it, it stays at that level. We do not store any of these videos. We drop those videos. We just basically keep the information about that, and then we can go back. And in a digital world, we can rebuild that whole scenario that like 10 cars were standing in line, to standing in the queue to uh, at the red light, or these many vehicles, this percentage of the vehicles um, got to the traffic, got to the intersection in red, on red or green or whatever that was. So this, this is the thing that uh, we, because um, it's another thing that when we talk about test beds or corridors and stuff that it is, as you mentioned, Brent, like a big brother comes about, like this is a city that we live in. I work next to the corridor, so I just, this is this is something that I can totally relate to. And the same thing that I want my privacy to be respected, we are respecting other citizens' privacy as well. And we are only like really using this data for the purpose of um, improving citizens' quality of life. And that is something that I wanted to mention. Is just I don't want the human aspects of this get lost in this smart city. It's not just always about just adding sensors and you know do another uh, artificial intelligence machine learning algorithm and but it's just like we are trying to really do some something that we see the impact there at the very beginning when we started this uh, CUIP and the test bed uh, Dr. Uh, Chandra Ward who is a so- uh, social science faculty at GTC uh, uh, and we also had another uh, PhD student visitor um, Christina from Spain they actually did quite a bit of focus group surveys and citizen engagement to understand um, what people want, uh, what are the things that they see as a need, what are the challenges and such. And some of these projects uh, came about from that, this public safety, this uh, pedestrian safety you did mention, lights, and then some of those are the things that came out of uh, those projects. So this is really the goal that I would like to mention, that like, even if it is a smart city, it's not just about um, making everything faster or there is there is we want to make sure that the um, human citizens and all those are still there and um, that's what we are doing these things versus just doing some research or having the highest technology sensors out there on our streets right Uh, i spoke a couple of weeks ago with um dr jonathan um reichenthal and, and on the smart cities topic specifically about that and you know we even though i know a lot of us you you included don't like the term smart cities and I know it was coined, but um, it, it is, as, as Dr. Reichenthal says, it's an evolution of, of society, right? It goes all the way back from Roman times to present day and everything we do is kind of a, a societal evolution and this is no different in that aspect. And, and I think it's mm-hmm. uh, what to, to Mina's point is to, um, 
you know, to better society and to to make our community a better, safer, uh, more economically pleasing, wonderful place. Right. So, great. Well, Dr. Sartippi and Kevin Comstock, thank you very much for joining me this evening. That's all the time we have for. So uh, please join me next week or sorry, in two weeks when I speak with Michael Baskin, the chief information officer, chief innovation officer for Montgomery County, Maryland on civic policy and innovation in the public sector. And on behalf of our guests, Dr. Mina Sartippi and Kevin Comstock and the Civic Sparks crew, thank you very much for watching and participating and we will see you next time. Thank you.